Okay, so, uh, man, it's lovely just to be here uh, this morning with you all. Um, last week, uh, Neil shared on the fear of the Lord, what that looks like, and I, I felt the best way that we respond to a message like that is, what do our lives look like? What are we called to live? What, what is a life that's lived uh, in the tension of the awe of God and the friendship of God actually look like? What is it? What does that really look like? And uh, I felt just as uh, this, uh, this morning that Kim and I are going to kind of share together on a life that's worthy of God, a life that's worthy of the gospel, a life that's worthy of the calling that he's placed on our lives. And uh, so it's going to be a very simple message. It's going to be very, I'm trusting that your hearts will be stirred, your hearts will be ignited afresh, if it's not, if it is, your heart is already ignited, that the, the Holy Spirit would fan the flame of passion for Jesus even greater, um, because that's the story of my life that I trust, that the passion for his, for his name, the passion for his church, the passion for to know him more has, needs to grow and grow. Some people asked me, um, I got saved when I was 10 years old in 1970. And uh, that's when I made my decision for Jesus, and I know that I made it that day. And I've been serving him ever since. That's my story. But my story is not unlike some of you, but also very different to some of you. What has kept me? The consistency of, of the life that I've endeavored to live for Jesus. And there's been... Ups and downs, there's been weaknesses, there's been sin in my life, and there's areas that I've had to adjust, and that's something that never stops. But in my heart, in my heart, there's been this passion to serve Jesus, to love Jesus and his church. And what is that? It's, there's been this deep desire in me to live a life that's worthy of the gospel, a live a life that's worthy of God himself. And so uh, Kim, yes, Kim's felt something uh, as she's been stirred over the while, more specifically towards the kids' church. Um, but then I said, when I heard what she wanted to share yesterday at the kids' church, I said, I need you to share that to us as a congregation because I do believe that it is a foundational response to knowing and responding to the goodness of God. This is about, we're going to speak to you about the river going to speak to you about the river that needs to be bursting forth within us. We're speaking about a river that we need to soak ourselves in constantly. So before I get too, <laughs> too on my journey, yeah, yes, Kim. Morning, guys. Um, what I'm feeling is, is more prophetic, and so I'm just going to um, give a little bit of background to it. So Last year, some of you would have been in the 412 conference when Dan preached about live a life worthy of the calling, but I wasn't because I was in my usual place with 400 or so children, and so I didn't know what he preached on, And um, but on the 31st of December last year, every year I, I look back and I go, okay, Lord, or, or I look forward and say, Lord, what is the thing for this year? And last year it was Psalm 23. I read it a number of times and really try to appropriate what it was saying. But on the 31st of December last year, I wrote um, from Ephesians 4 verse 1, 
we need to live a life worthy of the calling. As I read that scripture, it stood out to me. And then I saw, I'm going to say 4.12, actually put it as a statement for this year. So I went into the office and I said, um, hey guys, why? And they said, oh, what? Dan's preach. And I'm like, I didn't hear it. And so anyway, I really felt that the Lord was wanting us to take a hold of this for this year, to understand what living a life worthy of the calling is about. So I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version because it just kind of gives it a little bit more depth. So um, Ephesians 4 verse 1, so it says, So I, the prisoner for the Lord, appeal to you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That is to live a life that exhibits godly character, moral courage, personal integrity, and mature behavior, a life that expresses gratitude to God for your salvation. And uh, that word worthy comes from the Greek word axios, which basically means it's a description of a scale, a balance. And on the one side, we have the calling, we are called, And on the other side, we have the walking out of that calling. So our daily living must match our spiritual position. And what is our spiritual position? So remember that we are called out of darkness. We're called from something to someone for a purpose. And so we need to bear that in mind. We are called into a relationship with Jesus. Romans 1 verse 6 says, we are called to belong to Jesus. We are called to belong to Jesus. And so as I looked at this, and the reason why um, I kind of adjusted this for the kids is because the Lord imprinted something on my heart about our children in the present culture in which we live. And the tide is rising. And my concern is that our children will become overwhelmed by the culture of the day if we do not also lead them and encourage them and nurture them into their understanding of what they're called to and how they can live that out. But I got saved 46 years ago, at the age of 14, And the world around me was a very different place. To some degree, our Judeo-Christian culture in South Africa was closer to what I understood about Christianity than it is today. And the world has become a very foreign place to me. And each day, I feel even more like a foreigner. And I think the challenge that we have as older people amongst you, is that I still have a little bit of a frame of reference as to kind of what was norm and what wasn't norm in culture. But for younger people, I think what was foreign to us, and is still a bit foreign, and is maybe countercultural to scripture, has become the norm. And so it's harder for you to come against the culture of the day because 
It's become much of what is prevalent in the world today has become the norm. And so sometimes discerning between what is culture and, and countercultural is difficult. But the tide is rising. And we, if we are going to stand, and Ephesians 6 speaks about putting on the armor of God and being able to stand in the face of adversity, we need to know what and who we are called to. And so it's important that we know that we are called into a personal relationship with Jesus. That is where our identity is established. We are seated with him in heavenly places. We belong to Jesus. He is the center of our living, our existing, our thinking, our breathing, and the center of a worldview. And it's not just about knowing the Bible. It's not just about knowing the Bible. Because those are just words on a page. Unless we know the God of the Bible, experientially, there is no life, there is no passion, and there is no river. It's a river of words. And we might be able to regurgitate some biblical facts. But biblical facts without life transform nothing. It's just words on a page. And so for us, my heart's cry is that we would settle ourselves in a clear understanding of our identity in Jesus. That you are called to be a son and a daughter of the Most High God. Royalty, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. When we walk into a room, the atmosphere should change. It should change. Why? Because we carry light, and when we walk into darkness, it must recede. It must recede. And when we understand this, there is a confidence that comes within us to live counterculturally despite the cost. And there is going to be a cost. There will be a cost. That is the truth. There will be a cost. So this isn't about ministry. This isn't about, you know, your, your um, living a life of your calling isn't about ministry. It's about understanding who you are in Jesus. And then out from that flows the serving of the body of Christ. From that flows that. But we serve with the giftings. And you see, if I grasp this thing of being a called out of gratitude, I serve. I understand love. I understand mercy. I understand grace. I understand what I'm called to and I understand the responsibility I have to serve with the giftings that God has given me. But you serve then appropriating the fruit. Love, patience, gentleness, kindness, 
humility. And you serve the body of Christ with grace and mercy as Jesus has served you on a daily basis. That is our responsibility. That is our responsibility to serve. So if you're sitting on your gifting, maybe there's a problem with the identity. Maybe there's a problem with identity. And then we need to re-examine that. Maybe we need to examine what are the distractions in your life that are kicking that calling off track. Have you become obsessed with money? Have you, and money in and of itself is not evil. Money is a means to an end. Are you distracted by job? Are you distracted by the cares of this world? What is distracting you from what God has called you to? And that is to serve his body. Out of understanding your position. Honestly, I, I do have a very deep conviction that if we understand our identity, and I know this is the area in which the enemy will consistently come at you with these words, did God really say? Did God? He started like that in, the, in, in Genesis with Adam and Eve. Did God really say? Did God really say, Taryn, that you called to be an intercessor? Did he really say that? Did he say that you're supposed to be prophetic? And so we start second-guessing ourselves and our identity and what he's called us to. So I honestly believe that if we can get a grip on this thing, if we can get it into our DNA, we and our children will be able to transform the world around us as we walk out the truth of the gospel as it's being revealed to us. Wow, okay, thank you, babe. <laughs> wow. Okay, how amazing is that? And so much of what she shared there just... She, does, she hasn't looked at these notes, by the way. And uh, I wanted to share with us this morning, go through the book of Philippians, the whole book, in 30 minutes, if that's all right, and teach you what a life looks like that's given to Jesus, what a life worthy of the calling looks like. And there is so much what, Je- uh, what Jesus said through Kim. <laughs> okay. And uh, I want to start by just reveling and bathing our minds and our hearts in what is the gospel. Because we need to know what we give ourselves to, before we need to give our, know what we, what we give our lives to. We need to know why we're giving our lives. Am I right? And I'm going to paint some very big pictures for you this morning and for me. And every time I, I, I talk about the gospel, I, I prepare on the gospel, like, I'm amazed. <laughs> I just, it just, Grabs a hold of my heart afresh. I'm trusting you get a little bit of my heart. It impacts your everyday life. Amen. So, uh, Philippi was a church planted by Paul and Timothy. Um, you can go read the story in the book of Acts. Okay, Acts chapter 16, in fact. That's there. My whole idea is not to actually go into death, but just to give you some really broad strokes and 
really hit your heart. I think Kim said a lot was it's not about what we do, but who we are. Being a Christian is like being a Christian, not doing a Christian. Being a, we do out of who we are. That's what Kim was actually saying. Okay. So Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to be speaking to you about the beauty and magnificence and glory of the gospel. The river we bathe ourselves in is the river of the gospel. And I'm going to explain why and what it looks like. It's not just a good feeling. It's not just a Sunday morning we create a space where there's a, a river in front and we jump in the river. This is how we live our lives. Our call to live our lives, what's called to guide our lives is the message of the gospel. So Paul says at the start, I think it's around about verse 2 or 3, it says, I thank God, my God in all my remembrance of you, writing to the, book, uh, to the church in Philippi, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day. Okay, I'm not going to stop. We are all partners in the gospel from the first day. Okay. Um, from the first day up until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it all to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you're all partakers with me in, uh, in this grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless before the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What a magnificent passage of Scripture. So... Philippi, the church at Philippi, Paul goes to a river and he meets a businesswoman, a CEO, Lydia, a very wealthy, a very successful woman who had something missing in her life. She was God-fearing, she was God-seeking, but she did not know or have heard of the gospel. She gets radically saved and the church starts in her home. They're going along the streets, and in the streets, there's an orphaned slave girl filled with demons, abused, used by slave masters with the demonic in her to foretell, to prophesy the demonic over people's lives, broken, lost, nothing to give, nothing, nothing in her history or legacy was anything that that people would look at accepting to be used and she gets saved. The gospel comes and touches her life. Paul ends up in prison and there's this blue-collared soldier swearing, the uh, dutiful, uh, A-type character, I'm doing this duty. He was so dutiful that he was willing to kill himself when he knew his job wasn't done. This is a guy that's, that just does his duty gets saved into the church. And Paul himself, a Pharisee, a murderer, a persecutor of the church, and there the church is planted. Why? 
Because the gospel is no respecter of persons. Sin separates every single one of us. Every single one of us have a need and a remedy for the virus that is sin. Every single one of us, before we meet Jesus, before we hear the good news of the gospel, are faced with the truth that we are going to be eternally separated from God. I thought about this in terms of the impact of, of, of sin. It's not only separates us from God. There's not only, uh, I wrote this down here, we saved from the penalty, power, and punishment of sin. I thought about this this morning as I was preparing. You know, heaven is glorious. All the saints, Jesus, perfection, worship, uh, it's, it's our destiny. It's where we're going. This is, what, this is what the gospel is all about. This is our future. This is our destiny. Eternity together with one another, blameless before Jesus, worshiping, enjoying one another, loving Jesus, peace, joy, no more tears. And then I thought, all the angels worshiping, elders, people in the book, book of Hebrews, all the saints, all the witnesses, we're all there together. That's beautiful. And then I want you to look at hell. It is everything that heaven is not. It's separation from God. It's punishment. All the weight, the guilt, the shame, the anger, the hatred, the murder, the, all those things that well up, the worst of sins, well up, are all sent there. The weight the weight of all sin, of all humanity for all time is going into hell. And everyone who hasn't accepted Jesus into their lives goes into place, not just separated from God, but the anguish and the hatred and the jealousy and the, and the killing and, the, and all the stuff that, that we see that's happening in the world around us is there. And all the demonic is there. The devil is there. Trust me, the gospel is good news. <laughs> because we are saved from that punishment. We are rescued from that punishment. I thought about this morning. We so often talk about, well, because we sin, we separated from God. That's a little bit light. When, when we separated from God... We are not, we're not just at a distance. He's not there. He's infinitely uh, far away from us. And that is what we say. The gospel is a magnificent message. Let me read it to you. It says here, Romans 1 verse 16 and 17. It says here, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is Paul, eh? Writing. Because it is the power. It's not the message of the power. It's not a conduit of the power. It is the power. So within the message of the gospel contains the answer to the, the greatest human need. is our need for a savior, our need for redemption. In it, in it, in itself. Sorry, I'm, I'm very passionate about this. And, but, and I'm trusting you get the heart of the beauty of the gospel, and I think what Kim is saying and, and what we've been saying in terms of the river and everything, the gospel is not just good news. I mean, it's good, but it's like perfect. It's holy. It's a response to the, 
we've, because we want the fear of God, we want to go towards him. This is, man, that's beautiful. And the gospel has, when we trust what Jesus has done, has that ability to transform our lives from inside out. I'll touch on those things just now. So you can see, so God bring, uh, so that brings salvation. Sorry, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone and anyone. Lydia, a successful businesswoman. Marius, successful attorney, um, advocate, advocate. Even Neil, a pastor. Me, a Baptist, growing up in a Baptist church, a 10-year-old child going to an Easter camp, etc. And Harper, a five-year-old, is getting baptized today. The gospel, man. Age, anyone, everyone, uh, from time and eternity through to... Uh, through to all ages, all cultures, whatever it is, the gospel is it. The gospel is it. Um, and says, so it's, uh, so it's, to everyone who believes, yeah, for, and this is what you, which I wanted to bring out, for in the gospel, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. See, the good news is not just words on a page. It's not just reading the Bible. The good news is an experiential understanding coming to a relationship with the very righteousness of God. Who God is, we get to experience it. Amen! <laughs> we get to experience the goodness and righteousness and love and mercy of God. We get to experience it, not just know it in our heads. For the gospel is the righteousness of God, it's revealed. The righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's, that's the means we trust what Jesus has done. The gospel is a person. Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit. That's the river. We need to bathe ourselves in the reality of who God is. Amen? So we are all, that very moment, you think of the, the deepest, furthest sin that you could have ever done, that, that place of shame, that place of anger, that place of guilt, that place, no matter what sin it was that you've committed or do commit, Jesus is there. The depth of our sin has no power against the depth of the power of the gospel over our lives. Whether it's, uh, whether it's, we exclude some areas of truth, so it's not really a lie, through to genocide. I mean, you're guilty of that. The power of the gospel can forgive and will forgive when we come in faith. That was the story. Every single one of us are included in the gospel. Every single one of us have access to the power of the gospel to change our lives. This news is good news. I want you to remind you that as part of the mission that we call to is to be bearers of this good news because there's a world out there running up and down in their own lives. They're going to be with demons and the devil and with anger and with war and with hatred for the rest of eternity. 
and we need to rescue them. That's our mission. That's our mission. Amen. Woohoo! Here we go. Oh, I'm not even. Okay. The gospel transforms sinners separated from God and destined for eternal destruction into a passionate community of God chasers, devoted to one another and on a path to eternal glory. How's that? How good is that? That is just too good to be true, but it's true. And so it's good. Very good. And so I wrote this down as I was prepping. The gospel decides our eternity. The gospel defines our identity. The gospel describes our destiny. And the gospel will declare our legacy. The gospel decides where we spend eternity, forever in glory or not where anyone would ever want to be. The gospel defines our identity, who we are in Christ, slave girl, orphaned, abused, now a princess of the king. Magnificent. Magnificent. The gospel describes our destiny, what we're called to. The calling, the calling as sons and daughters, we, we're living for, for, for God's glory. And gospel will declare our legacy. I'm trusting my life in my wake and uh, in, my, in my slipstream will be a legacy of God chases, God lovers, people who want to serve the purposes of God in their generation. I'm so excited to be involved with, I don't know how it will be with uh, baptizing Harper today, but me, Bryce and Jess, and then Harper, just a picture of a legacy that I want to leave. Beautiful, beautiful. We need to soak our lives in the fuel of the gospel and then burn for Jesus. Soak our lives in the fuel of the gospel and then let others watch us burn. Amen? Amen. Okay, <laughs> what are we doing? That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the why we do everything that we do. That's, that's what defines who we are. And so, I'm going to leave you the four. Now, the four traits of what a life worthy of the gospel looks like. I'm going to go, chapter one, this is what the Lord revealed to me. Just This is the thing. Chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. Okay, I might not get through it all, but you'll see none of it has to do with what we do. It's all about heart. Where's my heart? Where's my heart? But before I get there, can I have a drink of water? Ooh. Oh, man. Oh, I love talking about the gospel this last minute. So, Paul writing to them. So, the f- chapter one, I'm just going to give you the, the, the four qualities and then we'll go through them each and see how far we get. Okay, number one is a prophetic confession of faith. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's my prophetic conviction and confession of faith. I believe Jesus and this is my life. Okay? That's number one. I'm going to touch on it now. No. 
Number chapter 2 is we positioned in Christ to love one another. In Christ to love one another, to be compassionate and be committed to each other. Chapter 3, a passion to know him better. A passion to know him more and more. And then finally, the pursuit of the joy of God. The pursuit of joy of God. So I'm going to see how far I get, okay? And then we'll worship and we're going to break bread and celebrate this beautiful story that God is writing over our lives. I thought about it this morning. In fact, I prayed about it this morning while we were praying. Just the God of eternity, who's in control and sovereign and sufficient and holy overall, chooses to write me into his story within history. Wow. Chooses to write his story. As Kim was saying, you, we cannot sit on our gifts. <laughs> we cannot sit on what God's given us because it's like an burst up from the ground because it's bursting out. Sorry, did that come out wrong? <laughs> okay. I need, I need, I need uh, Liam there again. Okay. So there's this prophetic confession of faith. Paul is writing from prison, and he is convinced, convicted by the Holy Spirit that the gospel is good news, the best news, and I'm writing from prison. No matter what my circumstances is, the gospel defines my life. The gospel, being in prison, it gives me an opportunity to write to you. It gives me an opportunity to share the gospel. It gives me an opportunity to be the gospel in that place. See, Paul saw inexplicable mercy on his life because he was a murdering Pharisee, as I said. Chaser of the church and persecutor of everyone who loved Jesus. And he met the good news on the road to Damascus. He met Jesus. Changed, transformed. We all need to be saturated in grace. The very grace that saves us is the very grace that sustains us. The message of the gospel that saved us, that redeemed us, is a message that keeps us going and keeps us consistent and loving Jesus. The message of the gospel is beautiful. We need to saturate ourselves in the person of Jesus. We have all received an eternal reward. And every single one of us, the reason why we get baptized, picture baptism is, I'm dead and then alive. But dead to the flesh, dead to my, my own desires, dead to worldly passions and desires, and I'm alive in Christ. I have a new identity. My life is not my own. It's word, this gospel and Jesus is worth dying for. That's what he's saying. It's worth dying for. And whatever it takes this year, and whatever we do in endeavors to reach, or to do in our, in our discipleship stuff, this is not about programs, not about doing series, not about discipleship models and all this kind of thing. And we are going to do these trainings. There's going to be training times that are available, and that you're going to be doing as a hub and as a congregation and these times of prayer that we have and our comms, let it be under, 
let there be the underlying foundation is we receive mercy and my life needs to be bursting with joy and gratitude and overflow. So when you come in the morning, on a Sunday morning to the meeting, how full are you? How the week has emptied us and as we've uh, um, been about our business and work and all these things, our responsibilities, so often we come empty to a church meeting waiting to be filled. And I say, because we have the gospel, and the gospel is there, and the message, and Jesus and his presence is with us, we should become, be, be full to empty ourselves. Not empty to be filled. Amen? So when the first song gets going in worship, everyone should be up front in their hearts. Because it can be a show. This, this can be... This can, be, this can also just be something that we do. I'm talking about we should be front-footed, up front, in the river ourselves. Where it's in, you understand what I'm saying. But if it means coming out your seat and standing up front, maybe you should do that. Because you're saying, by faith, I don't feel it. It's not an emotion. By faith, I'm coming to worship Jesus because I'm full of what Jesus has done. And I'm full. And I want to empty myself to him. That's what worship, I think, is about. Emptying myself before Jesus and everything. And then, and the beautiful thing is as I'm entering myself, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. He comes and fills us. Empty, full. Beautiful. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Number two, positioning Christ to love one another. Verse 5 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is ongoing, verb, which is yours in Christ Jesus. When the gospel has penetrated our lives, it comes into my heart and I have a conviction, but then it fills up to saturate my mind. We have the mind of Christ. Not you can get it. Not it's potential. Or you need faith to grab hold of it. We have. Have this mind among you which is yours in Christ Jesus. How is your thought life? Because what we think is what we will believe, what we value, what we value we believe, and what we, what we value is what we give our lives to. But we have been given the mind of Christ. And it says there, he came from heaven full. If you're reading, I'm paraphrasing now. He came full from heaven, and it says Jesus emptied himself. He came full to empty himself. We come here to a Sunday. We come here to a calm uh, we, we come to comms, we spend our time together, the thing that you're going to do, we, we come together in life full of Jesus, ready to empty ourselves into the lives of others. That's how Jesus did it. Have this mind amongst yourself. You did not seek equality with God, but was willing to give up everything and became a servant. 
serving one another. At the heart of the gospel is to have the mind of Christ, which means I serve you and you serve me. And we, there's no jealousy, there's no compet- competitiveness, there's a, there's a sense that what God has given me, I use to build and encourage the gifts. We, what Kim was saying, we use it to edify, to, to uh, strengthen, to encourage. We have the mind of Christ, we have the thoughts of Christ. One of our prayers should be, and we get up in the morning, Lord, I'll spend time with you now just in today. I pray that you'll remind me that I have your thoughts that I have in Christ, I have your mind. Give me your mind today. I know it's a faith thing that I do, Jesus, but, and then maybe in a moment something happens, a situation, and you feel the flesh coming up. Lord Jesus, your mind, your thoughts now. You've given them, it's available to me. This is how we live the Christ-filled life. This is how we live the victorious life. We overcome. Amen. Jesus is our example in everything. He modeled. He emptied himself. God's thoughts aren't all our, always. It says, uh, my thoughts are not your thoughts until Jesus came. And we actually can have God's thoughts because we have the mind of Christ. And the mind of the Father is revealed in Christ Jesus. The righteousness of God is revealed in that. So yeah, I asked this guy, I wrote down these things this morning. Are we willing to empty ourselves for the sake and joy of others? This is a fruit of the gospels come to us. So out of this place of conviction and, and this deep sense of conviction is this thing I, I'm willing to lay down my life for each other, for, for my brothers and our sisters. How do I serve? Is my mind full of Jesus' thoughts? Full of Jesus? Ready to empty myself? Is his mind ours? Because he said you can have it. Just ask. We have the mind of Christ. So... The reality is, in our attitudes and the way we treat one another, we have no excuse, in a way. And but, but there's the flesh in us. The beautiful thing is, the mind of Christ is forgive. So if you mess up, there's a way. There's a way that forgiveness comes, and we're going to be spending time just now breaking bread with one another. What a beautiful meal, extravagant meal of the gospel of Jesus that we share with one another. We're saying, Jesus entered himself for me, so I, I want to fill myself with him so that I can give him, give you some of him that's in me. And that is like a story of the breaking of bread. We share what Jesus did. He, my, my life is not my own. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. That's what that stands for. I want to say, right at the offset, that if you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior, come today to know him. He is the most beautiful person, most consistent, glorious, full of mercy person in the world, and he's calling you if you don't know him. And he says, this is what I did for you. You need to take and take of it because you're remembering what I did and you're remembering what you are called to do for me. And so if you take of the, the emblems of the bread and the cup and you don't know Jesus, the Bible says you actually partake in judgment on yourself. And I don't want that to happen. In Corinthians, they're breaking bread in an unworthy manner and people are getting sick and dying. 
So let's just make sure no one gets sick or dies. <laughs> okay? Make sure that you know you're right with Jesus. If you've got anything in your heart against anyone in this church or congregation or across the churches, or some of you might have come out of other churches, but there's stuff in your heart, you need to get the forgiveness of God and we need to find that, that place of reconciliation with one another. That's what the gospel did. And we're going to do that, have an opportunity to break bread with one another later. So chapter 3 is about getting to know God more, and I'm going to go through the next two a little bit quicker. Passion to name. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. This is about growing in Jesus. What is robbing you of your passion for Jesus? And what stirs you for your passion for Jesus? Are you growing in him? But whatever I gain, this is uh, Philippians 3, verses between somewhere there, uh, in 2 verses, between 2 and 11, it says, But whatever, I ga- uh, whatever gain I had, I count for loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Discipleship is not about behavior modification. Discipleship is not doing courses. Discipleship, is those are tools. Discipleship is not about jumping through hoops. Discipleship is a passion to know Jesus more in his ways and running with God, following Jesus. And as I follow him, I get to know him better and better and better. And this was, this was what motivated Paul. He was in prison. I said, I'm still, I want to know more. I want to know more. There's this deep angst within me. There's this deep desire to know Jesus more and more and more. How's your hunger for Jesus? How's our hunger for Jesus as a congregation? From, our, from what I see, it's, I love it. But how's your heart? As I said, this is all not about what we do. It's about, about heart. How's your heart? There's two ways we can struggle with our growth or struggle with discipleship. We can try and manage behavior. We can hold on to Jesus. It says here, uh, verses 12 to 16, says, It's not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me own. I take hold of my calling because he has called me to be his own. That's what came exactly what he's saying, what she was saying. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it uh, my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, the stuff that held me back, I straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the price for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What robs me? of my affection for Christ. It's not about ministry. It's not about one day when you stand before Jesus at heaven, he says, well, what did you do with my gifts? How faithful were you with stewarding? He's going to say, did you love me? I know you. It's about relationship. I love those other things because they come out of that. It's the turning point of Christian maturity. 
is that it's about holding on to grace and not trying to change our behavior. Finally, pursuing the joy of the Lord, chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Again, I'll say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. This is the key. The Lord is at hand. That's my timer. Well timed. The Lord is at hand. What a joy to know that the gospel is an invitation to take hold of the hand of the Father wherever you are, whatever circumstance you are. When you guys go to Zambia, when you're going through tough times or whatever, and doubt or fear or whatever it is, pioneering work that God's called you to do, never lose hold of the grip of the hand of God. That's why we rejoice. No matter what circumstances, no matter what Paul's in prison, he was saying, I'm in prison. I'm holding on to the hand of Jesus and I can, I can bear this. I can go through this easily. It's a joy because he's with me. I'm his child. I'm living. The circumstances don't determine my joy. Passion is a choice, not a personality type. We hold on to Jesus. We stick close to Jesus. We hold his hand. Is your life filled with the gospel? How does your life look before Jesus? Are you living a life worthy of the call? Maybe we can just get the, the musos and the worship team up. Liam and team. Father, we are awed. by the fact that you love us so much that you in your righteousness, your holiness, your glory, your beauty, your majesty, your sovereignty, all those things that who you are, in time, over time, Alpha and Omega, that's who you are. Yet you, at this moment today, have called us to live your purpose, to live a life worthy of the calling of that which you gave us as a gift, the gospel. And I'm so grateful, God. I'm so grateful to have brothers and sisters here in this hall who are serving your purposes, running for you, are living a life worthy of a call. But I pray, Jesus, that every single one of us would not settle for second best, would not settle for the mundane, would not settle for anything less than living out our lives loud and colorful because of what the gospel has done in us. Father, pray that every single one of us would come uh, to a greater understanding of the conviction that the gospel life, a response that should be my allies aren't our own, that we belong to you, Jesus, and you alone. And as we break bread this morning, may we stand in that place, or sit in that place, and, and re-examine our lives and say, God, is that the truth? Does the gospel define the way I live is my life no longer my own? Do I come to church and come to community out of duty or out of delight? Oh God, 
Oh God, forgive us for receiving and sometimes living out the gospel half-heartedly, indifferently, apathetically, God. No, no, that's not what you've called us to. Father, that we would see this community of believers, your church, as those that are called out and that you would increasingly give us that which you've already given us, which is the mind of Christ. That we would serve and love one another till we are empty, empty. Because you've filled us. Because you, you took on, because we're taking on your mind, the mind of Christ, which is to come and serve. It's not about position. It's not about leadership. It's not about gifting. But it's about serving and loving one another. That the whole world will see how much we love you is how we love one another. Not by how successful our ministry is and our leadership is. Father, that within us there'd be this excitement, this passion, this angst, this desire to know you more and more and more. That we'd see that you, that knowing you, there's nothing that surpasses the worth of knowing you. That all our gifts, all our all of the things that we do for you are rubbish rubbish compared to the beauty of knowing you Jesus and that God that in the light of all of this that our lives over our lives the atmosphere in our lives the the aroma which we carry is a is an aroma of the joy of Jesus So this morning, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you touch all of our hearts in wherever we are in our hearts, God. And as we break bread in a moment's time or two, that you would touch us where we need to be touched. You would change us, transform us, invigorate us, energize us, flood us, fuel us with the good news, with the gospel, with you, Jesus, with your grace. And then we say, people, come on, just burn for you, Jesus. We want to be saturated with the fuel of the gospel so that we burn brightly for you, Jesus.